Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Help me polarize, help me polarize, help me down. Those stairs is where I'll be on all my problems. Help me polarize, help me polarize, help me down. church today. I'm just trying to wake you up because you guys look tired. I'm just telling you that. Um, which I'll, I hate it when people tell me I look tired, so you're welcome for that this morning. Um, I, I get it, you guys, but I just want to honor you and thank you for being part of this. We just launched into this 830 service this new year, and so uh, you guys are basically like a new church starting on uh, early on Sunday morning, and so I want to just encourage you to continue uh, to make this your church family. Uh, it's a little bit of a smaller setting as we start off, and, and meet some people after church. Stick around for a few minutes, make sure you grab somebody, maybe take them out to breakfast, and and uh, develop some relationships here um, as well. And if you can, drag people from the other two services to this one. Uh, it's going to get a lot easier as it gets a little brighter outside over the next few months. And so, uh, anyway, we're so glad that you're with us. We are starting a new series called Polarized. And I love how that song ends because I feel like it describes our culture really well. Uh, we've got problems, don't we? Um, and all you got to do is flip on the news to see that we've got some problems. And, and beyond that, uh, beyond just the, the problems that continue in our society, we have problems in dealing with each other, don't we? I mean, there's just so much tension in the world today. We live in a polarized culture, don't we? We live with this sort of overarching narrative that's fed to us that, that goes something like this. Um, you must hate the people you disagree with, Right? And, and yet, as the church, as kingdom people, we see that there really is a different way to live, that we don't have to buy the hype, and that uh, even if you're new to church or just checking out church for the first time this morning, we really believe uh, that there can be some relationships that are, that are strengthened, and that the, the church can actually be stronger as we lean in to difficult conversations, and as we even disagree with each other on a lot of different issues. And I was just thinking even during that first song, what are all the different things that are going on? I mean, we, we could launch into every topic, um, I think we'd spend the next six months, right, covering all the major things, everything from gun control to should Trump build the wall, you know, to vac vaccinating your children, that's a hot topic, man, some mamas want to throw down about vaccinating their children, uh, the legalization of weed, I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff, uh, even in, in the state of Alaska, the PFD, now that's, that's one people fight about, the PFD, and so we could talk about all of those topics, and we might touch on a few of those um, throughout this conversation, but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we can actually be strengthened, and how Jesus always shows us a better way to live in the tension, because there will be tension. 
Uh, just know this, like, w- the tension will not go away until the day that Jesus returns to establish his kingdom fully on earth, just like it is in heaven. And so, in the meantime, then, what do we do? How do we live? And so, today I want to talk a little bit about the snap judgments that we make. Um, at a really early age, we all learn how to make snap judgments, and we've all had snap judgments that have made, been made about us. Uh, So I've shared a few times, my dad was an Air Force guy, we traveled around a lot like many of you do, Uh, we were stationed at one point in Minot, North Dakota, I was 13 years old, and I remember going to this location, and um, if you've ever been there, the base is actually like 20 miles away from town, I think, it felt like 20 miles, maybe it's just 10, I was a kid, you you don't have a good gauge when you're young, but it it was a long ways away from town, and so I realized early on that there was this tension that existed between the base kids and the town kids, and it didn't really come to light until we had a snow day, and this, this is, it was really interesting, so I just remember that the snow would start coming down and start blowing around to be whiteout conditions, and they would, they would actually send the base kids home from school, and the town kids actually had to stay in school for the rest of the day, and this was like something worth fighting over, right, because you didn't want to be left in school, all these other kids, so there were the basers and the townies, and there was this like, this tension, and like you'd, you'd get to know somebody, I, I'd try to make a new friend and who are you and you know like trying to get to know them and then they ask me like where do you live I'm like oh I live on the base and they're like oh you're a baser right and there's a wall that's put up right an instant tension that was created so I just learned to feed that back oh you're a townie right you're not one of our people and so now we've got some tension and some polarization that's happening and we learned that at a really young age now I'm a pastor and I'm so glad everybody loves me I'm so glad that (laughs) if you think of pastors societally man people just love I mean you know like it depends on what your background is and where you come from but but as I've said before I know that even just my position People have all kinds of opinions, and and if you don't know me personally, you probably have some snap judgments that you've made about me uh, just being on stage. Like, who is he? Is he for real? What's with the eyebrow ring? Like, like what about this guy? What does he actually believe? Does he actually love people? Is he just trying to make a buck? Is he just trying to get some money? Like, what's this pastor actually about? And these are snap judgments that people make all the time about all kinds of different people. How about Christians? If you are a Christian here today, do you know that people make snap judgments about you? I mean, if you ever let the cat out of the bag at work, maybe somebody finally finds out that you're at church on Sunday morning, people have some thoughts about Christians, don't they? I was thinking, what is our society's snap judgment about Christians? When they hear the word Christian, what do they think? I I think it's something like this. They think of self-righteous, pious, and hypocritical people who gather in churches to hide from reality while they live isolated and uninteresting lives, constantly judging others, demeaning women, and lobbying annually to put Christ back into Christmas. That, doesn't that describe us so well, right? I mean, that is us in a nutshell. I mean, no, it's not, but we, but that is kind of what people tend to think about Christianity, and so we all, to one degree, are, are victims of these snap judgments as well as people who make these snap judgments, and here's what I've learned about people, is that people are way too complicated for this. Like, each and every one of you are way more than that snap judgment, even if some of those or most of those things actually are you. There's so much more to the story, right? There's more about what you, where you've come from. There's more that, that you believe about life. And, and, and you, you believe things differently than maybe the person sitting next to you or down the row from you. And so you can't just put someone in, in a single category, can you? Like, it's never completely accurate. You can't say, well, if you do this, then you're a racist, right? 
If you look like this, you must be a criminal. If you think like this, you're a communist. If you think like that, you're a liberal. If you think like this, you're a legalist, right? We put people in these categories when people are just more complicated than your labels, aren't they? They're just more to human beings. And so we're just way too complex for these snap judgments. And so I want to deal with this question here this morning. How do we respond to people who think and believe and act differently than us? How do you respond to people that are different than you? Do you make snap judgments about them? If you want to grab a Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to begin this morning. And if you want to download the ACF Church app, uh, the text will be there as well. You can follow along on there. So we're going to read this text. I want to to dig into this here in just a second. This is verse 16 where it starts off. It says this. From now on, therefore, in other words, now that you're a believer in Jesus, now that your life has been changed, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The first thing I I notice in this text is that we regard no one according to the flesh. If you're a a Christ follower, what you begin to see, just like we just said, is that there is more to people than what's on the surface. There is more to human beings than their opinions about different political issues or social issues, right? And, and, And as a Christ follower, we begin to notice this about other people because first Christ noticed that within us, right? Like, we, we recognize that we all are saved through our, our sinfulness and that Christ saw something inside of us worth saving. Something deeper than our sin and our rebellion and our anger with him and with the world. And so, because that's what we've been given, we regard no one according to the flesh. We have a vision for people. And that's something I want to encourage you to do, is you see people that have opinions that are differently, uh, different than you, or people who have made snap judgments about you, that you would begin to have a vision for them that goes beyond the flesh, which simply means beyond what the eye can see. That we see that there's something deeper about human, human beings. And he says this, I love this, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is the message of the church. I mean, if you've ever wondered... Like, what is the story that we want to tell the world? It's a story of reconciliation. It's a story of healing. It's a story of God actually redeeming a broken relationship, which is why the way that we relate to each other into the world is so important. Because you might say, okay, I'm a Christian. Sure, God has reconciled me to himself, but the story you're telling the world is not one of reconciliation, but of division, right? I mean, you have to think about that. What vision are you casting for the world by the way that you deal with people who are different than you? If you want to flip over to Luke chapter 15, um, I want to read this next passage. Jesus was a a polarizing guy, wasn't he? Jesus was the kind of man that, he was born into a polarized society, certainly, where the religious leaders are, are bickering and fighting against each other about how to interpret the law. It was a society with no middle class, class. You were either poor and had nothing to your name, or you were rich beyond imagination, 
You've got the haves and the have-nots, the Jews and the Gentiles. They were divided by race, by economic status, by class. I'm so glad it's so different in 21st century America, right? I mean, you gotta, you gotta, when you read the Bible, some people are like, man, it's just this outdated book. No, this is a book for today. Everything is the same. It really is just the same. So Jesus is born into a similar polarized society. And really, honestly, as you read the Gospels, uh, the, the, the greatest polarization that's beneath the surface of all of these stories is simply this. Who is Jesus? Like, what do you actually think about Jesus? And so even Jesus himself, he was a polarizing man. So we read this in Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him being Jesus. This is always the story. Who is attracted to Jesus? All the broken people, right? Who's repelled by Jesus? The religious people. And it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this is so interesting about Jesus. This is one of the things that caused so many problems for him, right? He could have he been just a, a really wise rabbi explaining the law, a, a really wise teacher. He could have flown beneath the service. Instead, he chose to reach out to the sinners, to the outcasts, to those that the religious leaders wanted nothing to do with. I mean, it's like Jesus seemed to like people who were nothing like him, isn't it? It's just like that's who he seemed to be most attracted to, were the people who were nothing like him. And so for us in a polarized society, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus was, was this man who loved people who were nothing like him? I think it means this. You can write this down if you have a pen. People like Jesus like people who are nothing like Jesus. If you take nothing else away from this this morning, I want you to ask yourself this simple question. Do I like people who are nothing like Jesus? Because if you're going to be like Jesus, then you're going to like people who are nothing like Jesus. I mean, what does this this mean to, to like people who are nothing like Jesus? I mean, who do you like? Think about it. Think in your life, who do you want to spend time with? Who are you naturally attracted to, to be around, to care about, to eat with and hang out with? Because for Jesus, it was people who were nothing like him. But I'll tell you, our tendency as human beings is to get around people who are like us, right? Right? I mean, really, maybe the story that the, the world is hearing is that people like Jesus like people who are only like Jesus, that's the story the world's getting, right? Because there is a tendency to isolate, right? There's a tendency, I, I just, you know, I show up to church on Sunday morning, you know, I come to the 830 service, I've got my crew here I hang out with, I have some friends here, and then I, I leave here, and the only people I hang out with are people that agree with me. People that see the world that I, the way that I see it. People who, who love Jesus the way that I love Jesus. And for me, it's interesting, I, I have this connection, I feel like, with people who are very different um, it, it's one of the reasons that uh, for us as a church, and for me personally, I have such a, a compassion for the de-churched in our world. The people who are just like, man, I want nothing to do with the church. I've been broken and hurt by a church community. And so I, I tend to kind of gravitate towards people like that. And, and it, it's created tension before, I think, amongst Christian people. Um, I've had to be careful about telling people what authors I like to read. Because some people will, will, will like hear that I read a certain book by a certain author. And they'll think that I agree with everything, right? Because apparently you can't read a book by somebody and not agree with everything they say. And so I've had to be careful. Like, man, I love this author's writing. I don't agree with everything they say. But I've had to kind of be, be careful about that sometimes because sometimes people will determine whether you love Jesus based on 
those people you hang out with, right? And, and in fact, Jesus loved those type of people. And so a question that I have is like, okay, so maybe you love the world. Maybe you're like, no, I do, Brian. I care about the lost. I care about the world. That's, that's, that's good. But I wonder, do you like them? And this, this word like is a really important word to wrestle through. Uh, I, I was talking with a wife uh, who's dealing with a, a difficult marriage. It's probably four or five years ago. But she, she came in and she was like, man, it's, just, it's been really hard. Um, our marriage has been struggling. And she's like, I'm just kind of gritting my teeth. I'm grinding it out right now. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting through. We're staying together. But I'm not enjoying it very much. And here, here's what was her statement to me. She said, right now, Brian, listen. I know that I'm called to love him. But I don't have to like him. That's how she described her marriage. Some of you are like, I'm there right now. Don't, nobody elbow anybody next to you. Just watch out for yourself. Some of you are there right now. But I understand, like, sometimes it can be like that with, with your family, with your spouse, with your friends. Like, hey, I know that I'm called to love them, but I don't have to like them. It's hardest to like people who aren't like us. It's hardest to like people that we disagree with. Maybe that have hurt us, have wounded us in one way or another. And, but think about that. Think about the fact that like, we uh, sometimes hold a grudge between us and other people for the things that they've done. And yet we ourselves are sinful beings. But think about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 27 says that Jesus is a high priest. That he's holy. That he's innocent. Unstained. Separated from sinners. And, a, and exalted above the heavens. That's who Jesus is. And yet look at who he hangs out with. Look at the people that Jesus is attracted to. It's just amazing that we can be so divided from people that we are actually more like than we realize. And yet Christ, who couldn't be more different than us, we as, as sinful beings, is able to hang out with the rebellious and the angry and the sinners and the tax collectors of his day. Luke 7, verse 23. This is interesting. Another passage about kind of some of the ways that people might see you as you start to hang out with different kind of people. Because you're going to put yourself at risk if you're actually going to start doing this. People are going to judge you based on who you're around. And you're going to have to kind of deal with the tension from the people that see you doing this. Luke 7.33 says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. So John the Baptist comes, and he has this, this commitment in life to, to touch no alcoholic drink, right? So he, he comes drinking no wine and eating no bread, and people are like, this guy must be possessed, right? Come on, man. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, you must be possessed by a demon. Then th- verse 34, the Son of Man comes eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? So I think the point of this passage is simply this. For some people, you cannot win for losing, right? And you're just going to have to get over that. I mean, if, if you are somebody that worries about what other people will think about you by those you associate with, this is, that's simply the point here, is that no matter which side, whether you tend to kind of lean a little bit more legalist or lean a little bit more liberal, either side, you will be judged by people. John the Baptist was called a legalist. Jesus was called a lush, right, an alcoholic. People were like, that man has a drinking problem. That's what Jesus, the son of man, was called, was, a, was somebody who was, a, who was an alcoholic. And, and, and I want you to notice this, that they, they said he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And, and once again, this is important to determine. Is when, they, when they saw Jesus hanging out with them, they weren't simply like, Jesus is, man, he's on mission, right? 
He's on, he's on a mission trip to these people, and uh, he's just spending time with them. You know, he, he, he's called to love them, but he doesn't have to like them, right? I mean, if that was the vibe that Jesus put off to the world, I think maybe he would have got a little less judgment. Instead, what is he accused of? He's accused of friendship, not duty-ship. And there is a difference, because I'm afraid that a lot of Christians sort of spend time with those who don't agree with them out of duty, but have forgotten simply how to have a friendship, how to just enjoy people, and how to look past some of their perspectives and the way that they see the world, and love the human being that's on the other side of their political statements and of their Facebook posts, and of all the things that they think and that you think. Can you actually have a a friendship there? Because my worry is this, that there's this unspoken belief amongst Christians in the world that goes something something like this. We're supposed to hang out with people who aren't like Jesus, but we're not supposed to like it. I think a lot of Christians think that. Like, we're not supposed to enjoy it too much. How could we enjoy it? And yet I see Jesus as the kind of man who is eating and drinking, spending time with these people, and that he took joy in them. That he, he regarded them not simply by the flesh. But he had a vision for them as human beings. How did Jesus have friendships with people that were so different than him? How could could that even happen? I mean, think, this is the son of man. How could he have friendships with them? Here's the deal. He actually loved them. Like, he actually loved them. And what love does when you actually love people is it helps you to set aside some of what divides you. That's really what love does is it helps you to set aside some of those things, and it even helps you to enjoy them. And Jesus' simple agenda was to come and serve the world. And this is so key, I think this is part of the problem, and part of why we're so polarized, is because we are so power hungry, and we don't even know it. Do you know that your, your need to be right, your need to be the one that's on the right side of history, or the right side of the line, is actually a power struggle? And yet when Jesus comes to the world, certainly, does he have things that he wants to teach? Absolutely. Does he have a truth he wants to bring? Certainly. But we live in a world that's driven by power. That is the driving force behind all the polarization in the world. Like, I want to be the strong one. I want to be the right one. The kingdom of God is driven by service. Jesus comes washing feet, ultimately dying for humanity. It's a kingdom built on love for one another. So I just want you to come back to yourself for a moment. I mean, what does it look like when you engage with people who are different than you, when you talk with them about things that you disagree with? Are you about power or are you about service? Are you there to care for them, even to enjoy them, or are you there to be right so that you can feel strong and on the right side of things? And this love, the the love that I'm talking about, actually brings people together. It builds friendships. You will actually start liking people who are on the opposite side of a lot of different issues when you begin to love them like Christ loves you and loves me. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul's like, hey, I could have shown up and I could have tried to impress you with my intellect because I'm a smart guy. I could have impressed you with all that I knew about the law because he knew the law so very well. 
He could have thrown a lot of criticism at people and just kind of stood at a distance and said, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Instead, he shows up and boils his entire message down to one thing. Jesus Christ was crucified for you. And he's crucified for me. He calls himself the greatest of sinners. He just walks in with this humility. Like it's not fake, it's real. Because he truly knows who he is. He truly knows how undeserving of the grace of Jesus that he is. So he walks in to these, these conversations and these letters that he's writing to the churches who are thinking a lot of things that he disagrees with and he's able to just enjoy them and love them despite their disagreements. And I will tell you, Paul, of, of anyone in the scriptures other than Jesus probably has the most influence. Of all, really, out of all, all of history, right, the, the one who has the most influence in the world is this man, Paul, uh, aside from Christ himself. And I believe it's simply this, and you can write this down, togetherness is the pathway to influence. Like building relationships, being together with people, not just seeing them as duty or a project, but actually loving human beings, being together with them, is the pathway to the influence that the church needs to engage in. Because you guys, listen, I want to, I want to influence the world, don't you? And if you don't, you have a problem, right? If you're like, I don't really care if I influence the world. Well, you, now you have a gospel problem. You wonder, you have, to, you have to ask yourself, do I believe this stuff? But if you believe this stuff, if you believe in Jesus, then what you have is a desire to influence people towards Jesus. You want to lead them to Christ, to influence them. We, uh, we put this banner on the side of the building. Have you seen it? You probably walk by it and don't even read it anymore. What's it say? We're in this together, right? So we put that up before Christmas, um, after the earthquake, and, and everybody all was kind of freaking out and anxiety. And some of you were like, I'm still freaking out. I still hide under my desk every time the ground starts shaking. I get it. Like, we're still kind of dealing with this. We wanted to put something on the front of the building that would be a bit of a theme for this next season. And so we didn't go Google search, like, what's a cool statement to put on the front of a building? You know, like, it wasn't like, what are, what's going to be kind of catchy? And like, what, what's going to look good in, you know, 20 foot by 4 foot? No, we actually had intentionality in putting that statement because we felt like, after something that sort of makes us feel very small and insecure and out of control, that what people in our city need to see is a community that's together. They actually need to see people who live life together. And so we put that on the wall to remind us that, that that's what we are. And if you're here today and, and you don't believe in Jesus, and, and you don't believe, and maybe you're struggling with the church, or you have some snap judgments about me, understand this, wherever you're at, we're in this together. We really are. Like, wherever we're coming from. And so, this is, real, this is a really important thing that we as the church embrace. And that we actually communicate to the world that people who come from a lot of different backgrounds would see ACF Church as a place where we can know that we are in this together. And this is a different message than people expect from the church. What people expect is something totally different. Because we could have put up some different things on the, ba- on the banner, right? Like, I had some ideas. We could have put up this. How about this? We found your problem. Like, come to ACF Church, we'll fix you. Like, we've got your, we've got your problems all figured out, just come here, we'll throw a Bible at you, we're going to fix all your problems. That's what the world needs. Here, here's another one we could put up there, how about this, we're open to you coming. If you want to, if you, if you want to come in, I don't know, like, we're the 830 service, right? We barely made it ourselves, so uh, we're open to you showing up, if you want to. How about this one, um, we love you, but we don't have to like you, we could have put that one up there. It'd be a great message to the world. It's like funny, not that funny at the same time, right? Because you know that this is what people think. 
This is really what people think about the church. And you and I are all about, like, we are the ones that are telling them a story. And a banner, uh, you know, it's fine, but it won't cut it, right? It won't cut it. Like, a banner on a building is worthless without people who don't actually love our city. Am I right? So we got we to we embrace that. We got to see a, a deeper vision. And we got to know that we're all actually doing this together, especially in the church, you guys. Like, I mean, if the church is divided, I get why people in our city don't want to be in one. And I know some of you are like, but Brian, you don't get what I'm actually divided over. I, I get it. We've always got an excuse for why we're divided. We've always got an excuse for, no, Brian, I get it. There are things that we should, but this, no, this is something. And, and, and I, I, we'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks. So don't get me wrong. Come back over the rest of this series. There are things worth fighting for. There are, there are truths worth fighting for. And so we're not throwing out that, uh, that out the window, but I encourage you, read Romans 5. Um, if you have some time later on today, open up to Romans 5, because Romans 5 makes a couple of really important, clear points that we need to understand as the church today. Some things I think we've really missed. The first is simply this, that we all together share in sin. That we ourselves all, it says that because Adam sinned, we all have sinned. Like, we all have inherited sinfulness. And so the first thing that this does is, as Americans, it rubs up against our staunch individualism. Like, we don't like this at all. Like, no, no, no. Like, I am guilty of only that which I have actually done. Do you, like, that's how we think as Americans, right? Do you know that the rest of the world doesn't think this way? I mean, if you've traveled outside of the U.S., what you'll find is that people don't all see the world as individuals. There is a communal aspect to, to the way people think about themselves across the globe. We're very, very interesting in the West, the way that we see ourselves as individuals. Like we can be born into this world and like we've kind of created ourselves. But do you know that you were created? Do you know that somebody had you as a child? And whether they raised you or they didn't raise you, or you were put up for adoption, or you had two parents or one parent, or no parents, or, you know, you're born into a rich home, or a, a poor home, or you actually went to school, or you would had to, you know, go homeschooled, or whatever you did, you are a product of, of, of a lot of things. And so what Romans 5 says is that one of the most core things that we're to understand as people is that we are a product of, of sin. There was sin it's in our heritage. It's in our story. And so in a lot of different ways, we are participating in that heritage, right? As you and I act in ways that are not loving, as we're divided over things that shouldn't be divided over, and as we don't actually care for the world, we are actually participating in this, this terrible heritage of sin that we've brought, been brought into, and we're actually passing that on to our children. So there's, you know... Something joyful for 8.30 on a Sunday morning. But that's just the reality of it. But, good news, I love that Romans 5 doesn't end. It also says that we can all share in the redemption of Christ. So just as in Adam all have sinned, also those who are in Christ all can be redeemed. Amen? Like, that's good news. That's good news. Like, that's big news. It's global news. It's, do you know that, like, there is no gospel that's about your own personal Jesus? which I think is a song, isn't it? Anyway, um, there is no gospel that is about like, and, and we say things that I think throw us off theologically. We say like, hey, uh, Jesus loves you so much. If you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have still come and died for you, right? Has anybody heard that before? Now, I, I don't think that's wrong, you know, like I get it. Like Jesus died for all of us and he knew us 
And, you know, we were knit together in our mother's womb. Like, God knew us before we were even created on this world. But at the same time, that's not the real story. The story is that Jesus came for this global redemption of the world. And that we all sort of participate in this together. It's a huge deal. And here's, here's why this is really important. Because I think that we as Christians, we need a dose of humility. I think we need a big dose of humility. If we're going to be the, the agents of grace to the world, those who are, uh, who are part of this ministry of reconciliation, that means that we have to approach the world with humility. And I think the reason we don't is because we think that we can stand on our own righteousness. When really to be a Christian is to declare that I have no righteousness. On my own, I have nothing to stand on. And so it really puts you at a, at a posture of humility with people that disagree with you. Or people who are just maybe one step behind you in understanding God and understanding their need for grace. I mean, this is huge. So I think, honestly, the best way for us to enter into a polarized society is with a posture of humility and repentance. And I just wonder for you, and I know this is hard again because we're like, well, Brian, I didn't do it. I'm not part of the problem. Let me just kind of stand for all of us and say we're all part of the problem. And if we can acknowledge that, then we can actually take a step forward together. So I was thinking about this for me personally and practically this week. I was watching the news, and um, there were some things on the news about some pastors uh, that had come out. And some, some different sexual scandals that had happened. Um, and, and if you, again, this is polarizing stuff. We see this in the news. Your friends and neighbors that don't go to church or don't uh, love Jesus see that on the news. And it, and it, again, shapes how they see me. It shapes how they see the church. And so I was, I was watching that and I just, it just made me grip my teeth because I'm like, I just want to get a thousand miles away from that, right? I want nothing to, I don't want to be known for that. And, and then I'm going, well, why should I even worry about it? I haven't done that. I'm not guilty for that. But then I thought, you know what? To actually embrace this, this reality, that we all kind of share in the problem together, would be for me to get before you today and to say, listen, if you have been wounded by a pastor, I'm sorry. Even if it wasn't me. Like, I share in that to some degree or another because I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a church leader. And so I know church leaders sometimes hurt people. And so even if I'm not the one that wounded you, then I can stand before you and say, I'm so sorry. If somebody acted in a way that didn't look like Jesus, it was wrong. And I wonder what it would look like if we all together sort of embraced that reality. If we could just come to people and go, man, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what's been done to you. I'm sorry for any part that I've ever played in that. I'm sorry for, for anything that's created this tension in our relationship. I come to you with humility. So I was thinking this week, like, what does it look like to see people through a kingdom perspective? Um, when I first got to Alaska, the first thing I wanted to do was go fishing, right? Which I'm so excited about, fishing's coming. And so I went down and I bought some polarized glasses. And uh, I didn't know anything about them, but the guy at the store was like, hey, it's great. It's going to help you to catch more fish, which for me is always a reason to spend money, right? Uh, catch more fish with polarized glasses, what polarized glasses do, it's interesting, they kind of do the same thing that a kingdom perspective does for us. The first thing that polarized glasses do is they remove reflection. So you can actually see through the water. They remove reflection. Now, as kingdom people, as God's people, what happens when we see things through a kingdom perspective is that we start to love them for who they are and we stop seeing them as the reflection of ourselves. And here's what I mean by this. Sometimes what you hate most about people is what you see in them that looks just like you. 
Have you ever seen somebody, you're like, man, I don't know what's grating on me about them. It's just, it's driving me crazy that there's, they, they think this so strongly, or they, they won't come to the middle in this. Man, they got such strong opinions, and you're like, oh, that's me, right? They're a reflection of me. And so instead of resisting those relationships, we repent of our sins and we lean in, right? And so if you begin to have a kingdom perspective, if you actually want to take this seriously and beyond these doors, it's going to remove the reflection. The second thing a kingdom perspective does that the glasses do is it increases saturation. When you look through polarized glasses, all the colors become brighter. It's cool. Like you, you can actually see things, see the fish swimming around in these little pools of water and you, you know, cast your lure in there and The same is true through a kingdom perspective. It actually increases saturation. And what I mean by that is what happens is colors become brighter. In other words, people themselves become more valuable. Like you can actually see the beauty in human beings. That's what a kingdom perspective does. It depolarizes the situation because even when somebody's on the other side of the political issue from you, they they have a different opinion uh, than you do about abortion or about whatever it may be, You see the human being that's beyond that. You no longer regard them as according to the flesh. You have a vision for who God has made them to be. And you start loving them. You actually love them as people. Like the the saturation level goes up. And the third thing that polarized glasses do and that I think we can do with a kingdom perspective is this. They bring clarity. And I think the church today needs some clarity. I think there's a lot of things distracting us, a lot of opinions and agendas out there. We need a really simple, undivided purpose in this world. And I love that Jesus says, hey, do you want a simple, undivided purpose? Just love God and love people. Like, it just boils down to that. And I think, again, we've misunderstood love. We think love means turning people into projects and, you know, maybe going on a mission trip. And those are good things. You know, to care for people enough to spend time with them, to go on a, on a mission trip. But listen, loving people means actually allowing yourself to start to appreciate them and to enjoy them. And like, like on a Friday night when you just want to invite someone over who agrees with you on everything that you think, you actually end up calling someone else who sees things different, differently than you and having a great conversation with them about it. So what if the church led the way in this? This would be so cool, wouldn't it? What if people were like, man, I have these conversations with people at work that I, I can't even bring these things up because we just fight about it. But with these Christian people, it's just, it's just awesome. It's, it's honest, and we can just talk about things and understand things together. I want to close out with this, uh, this story. So this week, I felt like I saw something that was a picture of this so beautifully. Um, it's just a beautiful picture of, of connecting with someone who, who maybe is on the other side of the line from you. Um, so in, in, our, uh, in our worship team, we've got a a teenage girl, her name's Grace. Grace plays drums. She's awesome. And uh, this week there was a picture floating around on Facebook that I saw, and it just struck me. So she's a basketball player, and uh, she's kind of known to be a bit of an aggressive basketball player, so I'm told. And so she was like running in to take a shot, and apparently she hit another girl pretty hard, and the girl hit the ground. And she was kind of out for the count. They're calling an ambulance, like this is a bad situation. And so she, she sits on the sidelines, everybody, you know, gets down on their knees, and they're just kind of waiting for this girl who's on the ground to get helped out, and she's feeling terrible, right? She's like, man, I can't believe I did that, and she, she just care, cares about this person. And so she asks her coach, she's, she's like, hey, could I go pray for this girl that's on the other team? Which is just, for a teenager, I want you to put yourself in the, in the, in the mind of a teenager, like, that's courageous. That's courageous. For anybody it is. 
So she's not just going to sit on the sidelines and pray for her. She's actually going to go over to her in the middle of the court and pray for her. So she goes over and she prays for her. But the posture in which she prays for her was so striking. Put this picture up. So this is the way she, she laid down. She just gets on her face next to this girl. And she's on the ground with her hand on her head, just praying for healing for this girl that's on the other side of the team. And I was just thinking for you and I, um, what's your posture when it comes to uh, engaging with someone who's on the other side of the line than you? What does it look like? I will tell you, in the world, we sort of step over people like I, as a parent, step over Legos in the morning, right? Like just sort of a worthless piece of trash that's just getting in my way, right? We literally remove their humanity because they disagree with us on something. We forget that we were saved out of our sin. That Christ who's holy and perfect saved one who is unholy and extremely imperfect. And in a world that's all about stepping over people, kingdom people, you know what we do? We stoop down to people. We get on our faces. We get down in the mess and we deal with it. And we love others right where they are. Again, you guys, this is the way of the kingdom. And this is really the only way we move forward. And if you want to see a world that's different, if you're like, I actually care, Brian, that we're so polarized. I actually care that that this is so broken in our society. Then what you'll start to do is you'll just start to let yourself love people. You'll start to train yourself to get down on your face with people. And instead of standing over them, screaming the truth at them, You serve them because that's what Christ did for us. Can we pray together? Jesus, thank you so much that you met us where we were and you still meet us where we are. And um, we don't deserve it. We're not right in everything we believe. We're just not. God, we're still learning. And it seems like, uh, man, every week, There's something about my perspective that changes uh, through an encounter with another person or just through an encounter with you. And God, we really want to have a kingdom perspective. We really want to love people the way you loved us. And and yet, God, we are so proud. And so we as a church, we confess that. Um, We confess that not just for ourselves, God, but for Christians of the world, for all of us uh, who have walked in pride who've looked down our noses at those who've not yet been transformed by the grace that has transformed us. And in that way, God, help us to be honest. Man, if we don't love people, your grace is not in us. It's so clear. God, you are not in us if we don't love people. So God, we step down off of our tower of self-righteousness into the mud and the mess. Um, God, we know that we're part of it. We know that we've helped create it. But we also want to see it be better. So heal our nation, Jesus. Heal our hearts. And help us to be ministers of reconciliation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.